0: ghostly rebecca i heard a story about you going to a barbecue place
1: okay so i told you that story not so you could share it with the world
0: (laughs) well i mean the world being our fans
1: well i guess they're our friends too huh yeah right (laughs) well very classic rebecca story like seriously this like this and cat this is, this kind of thing happens to me all the time. Oh. So I went to this restaurant and I don't know, like I hadn't, it was a place where it, it, I used to live in a restaurant I used to go to. And I kind of got confused once I got off the expressway where I was exactly. And I was okay. just following the directions on the GPS. And yeah. I thought it was taking me to a different, location and I was like oh they moved like it was close but you know that they just kind of moved down the street or around the corner or whatever and I was excited and I thought the building I was like wow you know it looks bigger outside and but then we I went inside and it was like oh this this looks man this looks really the same they just kept it all the same (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then as I was leaving later I realized no it was the exact same location, <laughs> the exact same building. Wow. And uh, I was just an idiot. Well, <laughs>
0: well, good thing you didn't tell anybody your feelings when you were there. You
1: yeah, know? no, I absolutely talked to an employee and was what? like, yeah, I was at your old location. <laughs> like, this is so great. And he was like, well, we have a location downtown? Like, he was so confused. Well. <laughs> Luckily, he was a very a very nice man and did not bother to didn't, didn't correct call you me out, yeah. or be like, We've never moved. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't Classic Rebecca. Classic Rebecca story. Mm. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, see, don't you feel better now that you shared that with the world? (laughs) Sure. Well, I wanted to say that I'm really excited about Elgin Fringe Fest. How about you?
1: Yeah, Pat, I am very excited for Fringe Fest. It's getting closer, so we're gonna have to start buckling down, getting ready for it. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. So it's gonna be September 14th, at 6 p.m. at the Blue Box Cafe that's in Elgin, Illinois. Yes. For those that are like Elgin, North Dakota.
1: Right. Well, and then in case, as I said last time. Elgin, in- France. In case you were wondering, Blue Box Cafe is so named for the amazing show, Doctor Who. Who? The Doctor.
0: <laughs> we did this all before. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. I am playing that up. That's I, the joke. That's yeah. the
1: joke of the show. Whoa,
0: <laughs> Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Bob After Dark will be there with us. Yeah. Right? Very
1: exciting. Oh
0: my God. They have a lot going on. They uh, do.
1: They're going places. They're doing investigations all the time.
0: Yeah. And actually they're going to be in a panel at Wiz- Wizard World. Yes. Not Wizzy Wizzy World. Wizard <laughs> World. Wizard World. Yes. Yeah. And that's going to be um, this next Friday. Yes which is the, I can't remember the date of that. 23rd? 23rd. Yes. yes. nailed it. Totally nailed it. They're going to be doing a panel with our friends at Freak of the Week podcast.
1: Yeah, which we're going to be guesting on this next season. I'm so excited. Yes,
0: we're going to be guesting as Ghostly. Usually we go on there and we improvise characters, but we are going to be Ghostly podcast yeah. on that.
1: Well, maybe it will be a version of Ghostly podcast. We'll Probably have to an see. exaggerated version of this. <laughs> yeah.
0: So at Elgin Fringe Fest, uh, we are going to be talking about El- some Elgin specific ghost stories.
1: Yes. Now we haven't talked about this, but I do think that there there are several really scary things about Elgin. One of which is that there is a mental hospital in Elgin. Oh, so well, let's not
0: let's not give too much away I'm here just, yet, okay? Because we want people to attend. But even if they can't attend. We'll put out that as a bonus episode or some kind of other episode, episode. in yeah. September sometime. Definitely. Oh yeah. yeah. So
1: I mean we want you to come, but uh, you know, if you can't make it, it's okay. We understand if you're in California, for example. Yes. You know, and you can't make it here.
0: I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't.
1: I I just it's you never know. I mean it's possible. Right they might not be able to make it. So in that case, yeah. you know, now you're not gonna get maybe everything that's at the show, but we'll yeah. give you as much as we can.
0: And uh, for those of you that don't know, Rebecca and I belong to a local theater company, right, called Memorium Development. Mm-hmm. And they have a couple of shows at Elgin Fringe Fest too, called In Memorium.
1: Yes, and another one that we probably, the name.
0: I'm gonna say it's unfreaking bl- relatable. Unfreaking relatable. Yeah. I mean, it's It's spelled U N F X X X I N G. Keep going with that. A B
1: L E. Yeah. Yeah, Whatever. (laughs) R E A B L E. (laughs) Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so we're going to be hanging out um, that weekend. So, in other words, it's, you know, if you don't get a chance to see us, if you can't come, to our show at 6 p.m. on the 14th. We'll be there on Thursday, maybe, Friday for sure.
0: Yeah, so, and actually, Saturday, if you stick around after our show, I'm going to be playing some guitar what? during the In Memoriam show. Oh, Improvised music
1: Nice for them, yes. Very cool.
0: So definitely something you want to check out because I am the best guitarist in elgin that they could get <laughs> for that day yeah that that said yes
1: there you go yeah <laughs> yeah that's good <laughs> well and we haven't mentioned yet but we might have a special guest at our sh- another special guest that we haven't even announced yet at our show i'm not gonna Ooh. go into more on that because i don't want to yeah jinx don't that jinx it might not yeah. happen but, yeah. Yeah, it's but but you know
0: this person's work very well I if do. you listen to Ghostly.
1: Yes, that's true. Yeah.
0: Not just you. No, I thought you were talking about me. I was like, I you. do really know that well,
1: work. You well,
0: you would know his work probably better than most people. Yes. I think you've known him for a few years, right?
1: More than a few. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. So sadly, I think it's time to go over the polls.
1: Why so sad?
0: Uh, You know, this time, I just am not feeling it.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, our question from the last episode was, does Marie Laveau the voodoo queen haunt New Orleans. 62% of votees said, yes, she does. 38% said, no, she does not. Well, it was pretty
0: close though, I yeah, would say. Yeah, it was,
1: it was like a landslide at the beginning and yes. then it definitely kind of evened out a little bit more. And we've been posting
0: a lot about this episode, so I think it kind of buried it because we didn't get as many votes as what we've had in the last couple of but, episodes. I mean,
1: still pretty good number of votes though.
0: It was decent number, yeah, I yeah, would say. I would say. So yeah. So
1: yeah. Just you know, believer <laughs> team believer one, hashtag team believer one. Yeah. I'm just letting you know that.
0: I mean you guys did and I- I love that you guys won because that's what makes this a show, right? Right. It's It's like you don't know. It's like if we didn't have both sides or all three sides with hashtag team Tweeny.
1: No, no, not the name. (laughs) hashtag I'm not sure. hashtag It depends. It has to be team in front of everything. hashtag Team. It depends. hashtag Team. uh, I'm open. No. hashtag Team. Open minded. Okay. Maybe we'll have to do a vote. I just I don't want to be called a 13-year-old. That's not
0: I'm sorry. A thing. I don't I don't want to upset you or anything. You seem really agitated yeah. by this. Kind of like when I talk about orbs. Yeah. Wait, are there any orbs in this episode?
1: Not that I know of. Okay.
0: Whew. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Although we might see some as we record this though, right? <laughs> it's always possible. All right. So, we, I think we really we should just get into get the going. episode. Yeah, yeah, we have a really Huge. long episode and um we decided to switch up the format a little bit for this episode because of how many topics we have to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really going to be a big episode, so we're hoping to get it all into one. We're hoping. We're hoping.
1: So I'm not going to do, I just want to point out, I'm not going to be doing like a big ghost story. I mean, we we I will be doing that in the future. It's not going away. It's just today because we have so many different yes. things. I'm going to be kind of filling in the ghost stories there's um, too much
0: real stuff to put your make believe ghost stories right, in. Right. So I'm going to be beginning. putting
1: real ghosts or real ghost stories in as we go. No such thing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So the 27 Club refers to a lot of artists that have died at this age in the last 150 years. It's not just musicians, but it is mostly musicians. Uh, the question we are exploring is whether or not there is a death curse for artists that caused them to die at the age of 27.
1: Yes. So that's kind of I mean, we're gonna be telling some example stories today. But that is the overall question as you're listening to these stories. You know, is this because of a curse? Yes. What happened with
0: them? I mean, I'm not saying yes, it is because of a curse. Uh, I'm saying yes, that is the question. Let the
1: record show. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: so although the 27 Club was something that people talked about before Kurt Cobain, especially after Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison died very close together, uh, it really gained a lot of notoriety after a statement from Cobain's mother. Now he's gone and joined that stupid club I told him not to join that stupid club. So do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, well, just that, so before Cobain, people definitely talked about the 27 Club. Like after those four big deaths plus more, um, all within a short time frame, there were a lot of people that all of a sudden started to take note, like wow, 27 seems to be this age where people die. But then I think kind of some time passed and maybe there weren't a lot of major deaths and then all of a sudden Kurt Cobain happened and it was like this big deal uh, again, you know? And it was kind of like, wow, this is intergenerational. It's not just yeah. this like one freak thing that happened.
0: Just for the record, first of all, there's there were several deaths that happened after Jim Morrison and before Kurt Cobain. So yes, in I that, know. In that span, but they are lesser known than those right. people, but there's been a lot of discussion surrounding if she meant specifically the 27 Celebrity Death Club or a club of musicians that committed suicide or even within their family. Mm. Because there was people that committed suicide the exact same way that Kurt did. Gotcha. But we're gonna talk about that. Also, um, I wanna say that the 27 Club is also known as Forever 27. okay. Yeah, so it has a couple different names, um but it, it it all it all goes over the same thing that these talented artists died at the age of 27. Yes. Robert Johnson is one of the first to enter the 27 club. It didn't start with him. There were a couple before him, but a lot of people see him as the start of it.
1: Yeah, I mean the people before him were like classical music musicians. Yes. You know.
0: I mean, they were artists though. I mean, they were artists,
1: but like they were, yeah, definitely old, 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 old timey. Yes. Yeah. So
0: we're going to go over, in this episode, we're going to talk about seven of the most famous of the 27 Club, Um, but in no way is this limited to just these people. Yeah. There's a lot of people Mm -hmm. in this club. So we're going to start off with Robert Johnson. He's a very talented blues man. Robert Johnson was born on May 8, 1911, in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Even though this is almost 50 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, black people were not striving in this new world. They had a lot of trouble making a living that would put a roof over their families' heads and food on the table on a daily basis.
1: I mean, think about that. That's a generation, two generations, maybe, or two generations, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, your grandfather would likely have been a slave, basically. Yes,
0: absolutely. Most black people in the South during this day only really had one place that they could find steady work. Uh, That was right back, wherein generation or two generations before them, blacks were slaves on the farm.
1: Yeah, sharecropping.
0: Yes. So Robert didn't like physical labor, kind of like Abraham Lincoln when we yeah, about that. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Although I think Abraham Lincoln did more physical labor, didn't like it, Robert Johnson just kind of refused to do it. Yeah. So uh, he was often in trouble for playing his guitar at times he should be working. Mm-hmm. Uh, he married a 16-year-old, Virginia Travis, in February 1929. He was 18 years old, So it's not that weird that she was 16 years old. When I first saw the 16, I was like, oh no, not this again. It's not that weird.
1: Yeah, we've had several of those, but yeah, two years, not a big difference. No,
0: Little is known of their relationship because she died in childbirth shortly after their marriage. So it's pretty sad for Robert Johnson.
1: Oh yeah, his life is full of tragedy.
0: Rebecca, do you remember the name of that documentary on Netflix that I made you watch?
1: yeah it's called remastered devil at the crossroads okay super interesting it was
0: great it was great and you didn't know much about robert johnson before that nope, not at
1: all it was a really i mean a good combination of like real interviews with people from years ago like people managed to interview people before they they passed away that actually knew him um and then they did animation to kind of recreate the stories that people were telling Mm -hmm. very good
0: So the death of his wife during Mm -hmm. childbirth, you know, it really made people in the community uh, feel differently about Robert Johnson. They saw this as being punishment that Robert needed to pay for playing his music. Mm -hmm. So this is already where people started saying that he sold his soul to the devil, which we're gonna talk more about that. Okay. But that was the start of people saying that. Robert was devastated and decided that if that's what people thought, that he was going to become that. And he started working as a full-time musician. Now, when I say working, he was not working steadily. He didn't have concerts and stuff like that. He played on the street corners, usually.
1: Yeah, and just people, you know, threw him some change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Robert was not a great guitarist at this time, though. He met Sunhouse, House, which is another one of my favorite blues musicians. By the way, blues is one of my favorite genres of music. Me too. Uh so he met Sunhouse House and Willie Brown. Both were regular blues musicians that often played at juke joints. Sunhouse House said that he was an all right harmonica player, but a bad guitarist.
1: Mm, oh, okay. Talking about um Robert Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: Robert wanted to learn his craft, so he went off and started to jam with Ike Zimmerman. Zimmerman was probably one of the best guitarists in those days. His secret, that he taught Robert, was playing at a cemetery late at night. Because, as he said, you're not going to bother anyone there. Robert hit the road, but not before fathering a child with Virgie May. He wanted to be with her, but her family forbid him from coming around because of his blues playing. Robert married Coletta Kraft in May 1931, but she died in childbirth, too. Wow. Robert did all that he knew how to do, and that was to play his music. He moved around a lot for the next year of his life, and when he got to a new town, he would set up on the street corner and play songs that were more pop in nature. For those days, at least. hmm He didn't want to scare people off with his very dark music that they considered what he played. And if you if you study his lyrics, they are kind of dark. But when he would get booked in a juke joint, he would play his more dark stuff. Uh, much of his music has references to hoodoo and his deal with the devil. I'm sure Rebecca's going to talk all about that as evidence uh, as we go further. So I'm just going to let her do that part. Hmm. He recorded 29 songs and 13 alternative versions of those songs. So that's all the music that we have from Robert Johnson in this day, although his influence can be felt in all rock and blues since then.
1: Absolutely. Again, if you watch that documentary, they go into a lot, uh, or they they interview a lot of very famous musicians.
0: Yeah, like Keith Richards.
1: Yeah, and then who talk about how much... Robert Johnson influenced them.
0: So if Robert's superpower was his amazing guitar playing, he had two weaknesses then, and that was women and whiskey. He was often with a different woman, and in his travels, he drank a lot. Both of these things would be his downfall on August 16th, 1938. A couple of days before this, Johnson was playing at a country dance and flirted with a young woman. That young woman's husband was working as a bartender at the bar, and Robert didn't know it, but he got a bottle of whiskey that was poisoned from the man. Robert was told not to drink the bottle, as it had already been opened. It may or may not have been poisoned with strychnine.
1: Uh,
0: there is a lot of debate about that. Uh, there is a lot of lore that comes with Robert Johnson's life, as this is all... What we know about Robert Johnson today is all from people that have gone back and done have done research because in his day, he was not popular at all.
1: I mean, yeah, like he was a little popular, but just in his little local area. Yeah,
0: exactly. So Johnson began feeling sick that night, but it took a couple of days for him to actually die. That's why there's a question about the strychnine. Mm. Uh, strychnine actually leaves a taste in the alcohol, so he would have tasted it. Um, unless he was already pretty drunk when he started that bottle. And um, also, too, he it would have had to be a lot of strychnine, and he would have probably died within hours, mm. not, not within days. Gotcha. So this is one account of his death, but nobody is really sure how he died as it wasn't really talked about. Robert Johnson was not a famous musician, and only few actually cared enough to know who he was. There's also reports that he may have had syphilis.
1: Mm, Well, he was sleeping around a lot.
0: Yes, he definitely was. So um, I want to bring up one more thing about this too. In 2006, a medical practitioner, David Connell, suggested on the basis of the photographs, there's only two known photographs of Robert Johnson um, that have been verified, but it shows um Robert Johnson's unnaturally long fingers and one bad eye that he says that Johnson may have had Marfin syndrome, which could have both affected his guitar playing and contributed to his death due to aortic dissection,
1: okay. Well, yeah. there's something for everyone to go look up,
0: yeah, right? So <laughs> it's kind of whoo, it's I mean, Robert Johnson lived a hard life for those twenty seven years,
1: definitely, yeah, yeah. And it's so sad because right after it right after his death, or it was just like a few months in there where um they actually played they wanted him to play his music at Carnegie Hall, yes, and he just missed, yeah, the, that.
0: yeah, the guy that was like organizing it, this would have been. Robert Johnson would have been instantly famous. Instantly then. famous, yeah. And people would have heard about his music, and he would have Im- he would have influenced a lot more musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when they went to go find him, they found out he was he was already dead. So they actually brought a record player on the stage and played his music that way. And this was to show the evolution of music to jazz.
1: Right, and it was, and again, big, you know, rich. Were wealthy white people in the audience and they loved the record yeah. but could you imagine if he had been alive it would have been
0: yeah well the thing about robert johnson too is that um he made some recordings of his music as i had mentioned but nobody had any money to really buy these this was during the great depression so mm. nobody had the money to buy it so um they kind of just sat there and It wasn't until the fifties and sixties that people would find these albums when they bought like big boxes of albums,
1: right? And that's how
0: that's how he was discovered by the mainstream.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, okay, Rebecca, what Hmm. do you got for me? All
1: right, well, let's go into some of the more um, uh, curse slash ghosty stuff. Um, So, there's a popular legend. Which claims that his song Crossroads Blues um, speaks of his encounter with the devil. Mm. So you mentioned that he you know his music was dark and, and he would t- he tells this story of how he encountered the devil at a crossroads and yeah. that he sold his soul to get this talent that he he you know, it's like he didn't have any he didn't have a great amount of talent and then he goes away and he comes back and all of a sudden he's this virtuoso doing things that no one else has ever done before. So the legend tells the story of Johnson taking his guitar to a crossroad by the Dockery Plantation in Mississippi, where he met the devil who gave him the musical ability to become famous and successful in exchange for his soul which the devil came and claimed um, when he died in 27. The weird thing is that there's kind of a modern part to this too. So this mm-hmm. legend has kind of continued over all these years. So there's a story I found about how his this curse still haunts the soul of Robert Johnson and that people still believe it manifests today. Um, this guy, Dr. Snake, I'll Ooh. definitely put a link on him. Dr. Online. Snake. And I like this because it connects to voodoo.
0: Not, not Snape, right? No, Snake. Okay, so it a, wasn't okay. the one from Harry Potter. No. Although I think he would have a lot to say.
1: Oh, about he him. would. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> so Uh, I like this though because it talks about voodoo, which is something that we talked about last time.
0: Yeah, in our Marie Laveau episode.
1: Okay, so this is Dr. Snake. He says that uh, my voodoo mentor, Earl Marlowe and I were both big fans of legendary Mississippi Delta bluesman Robert Johnson. We once went on a pilgrimage to what we believed was the crossroads where he sold his soul, uh, reputedly sold his soul to the devil in exchange for guitar prowess and fame. During our journey into the American South, Earl told me how certain hoodoo conjurers in the Mississippi believe that Johnson's ghost still haunts many country intersections in that region. If you are a musician and pass through a country pass through country roads, sorry, a cro- country crossroads in Mississippi at the witching hour, you need to be where. Um, otherwise, Robert will take you by the hand like the Pied Piper and lead you down to hell. Earl added that the spectral Robert Johnson would then take you to the devil and try to trade your soul with him in a bid to get out of the bargain he made with the devil back in the early 1930s. But according to Earl, the devil is picky. He only accepts the souls of musicians with genuine star potential.
0: Oh, that's not me.
1: (laughs) That's not me either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But you never know, maybe we just haven't practiced enough. Oh, okay. He doesn't take amateurs or deluded wannabes. I'm a
0: deluded wannabe.
1: (laughs) But if you got talent and charisma, it ain't safe to pass through a country crossroads at midnight in Mississippi, said Earl. Otherwise, Robert might just come along and try to trade your soul. Earl made it clear that this was a bad deal all around. You won't get nothing out of it, he said. No fame, no uncanny musical ability. You'll just be sacrificing your immortal soul to rescue Robert from his deal with the devil. Ooh, wow. Ooh. So it's kind of crazy. I just want to, one thing just to, to take away and put in our brains for the rest of the episode is this idea that the devil only cares about people that are virtuosos, that are really, really good. It's not about all musicians, people that, you know, whatever, play music and earn some money, that it's about people that are really good at what they do.
0: Okay. Yes. Well, I'd like to start this off by saying that um, back in those days, there was two places where people would go outside of work, Mm -hmm. and that was they would go to church on Sundays, but on Saturday nights, they would hang out at juke joints, and where do you think their money would go?
1: Mm. I'm guessing the juke joint, because I don't yeah. think you can go to church. You, you can go to church for free, you can't go to the juke joint for free. So
0: yeah, so people, uh, especially men were spending their money at the juke joints mm. and not saving their money for church the next day, and a lot of them wouldn't even show up for church. Mm. So that's when these Baptist preachers made it a thing that no, uh, blues is the devil's music and you're wasting all your money on that when you could be giving us money. Uh, so that's one thing I would like to point out, that yeah, that's where the cool. idea that he sold his soul to the devil came from, I believe. Also, too, in uh, there's a couple things I wanna say. Also, too, um, Crossroads might have referred to not just um, the devil, the Christian devil, it might have referred to um, more of an African uh, god. That that would do something like this, and um, so it takes some of the credibility away from the devil that we believe, and it and it takes it and it makes it a d- totally different devil, which has different responsibilities and different different things. So I don't know. To the me, a dark that kinda,
1: entity, whatever it is.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> then there's another thing. There is also speculation that he may not have been 27. As there's two marriage certificates on record for uh, Robert Johnson, they didn't have the same birth dates on there. Mm. So you would think if you're getting married, you would make sure that your birth date is accurate.
1: Well, maybe, unless you needed to like age yourself or something.
0: Maybe, but he was 18 the first time, supposedly. She was 16, so... You know, he could have been 16 and she could have been 16 and they could have still been married. And then the other one was, you know, when he was like 25, 26. Mm. So also the 1920s census listed him as being seven years old, which would have made him 26 at the time of his death. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Hmm.
1: Well, we'll see. We'll but there, see. but there is an
0: answer to those things. Mm-hmm. There is a great podcast um, from Radiolab, and they had an episode named Crossroads. Uh, it brought up the possibility of more than one blues musician at that time was named Robert Johnson. They said uh, at that same dance, there was a Robert Johnson that signed up to play after Robert Johnson. <laughs> Robert <laughs> Johnson played after Robert Johnson, and he was going to play his banjo.
1: Interesting. Robert Johnson
0: didn't play banjo, he played guitar. Hmm. Meaning that different stories could have been related to different people. Hmm. So we don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean we, that's true. I haven't listened to that po- I mean I love Radiolab. I've certainly listened to Radiolab before. I yes. recommend it, but I haven't listened to that episode, which I will now have to do. Definitely. Um, but I would say that the research from the documentary was pretty solid and they they even talked to his grandson. Um and, you know, played these interviews that they did, which I mean some things are always hearsay. Um and I actually think they come the the documentary comes down on the side of it being Not so much a curse as a, you know, just kind of a a weird story. Um,
0: Well, he lived a really risky life back in those days. So, I mean, it could happen. So, let's go over our rating for this. So, how sure are you on a scale from zero to 10?
1: For Robert Johnson.
0: Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil. Or Robert Johnson dying of the twenty seven curse.
1: Yeah, cause those are slightly different things. So in my which one mind. would you like
0: to? So let's do the twenty seven curse. Twenty
1: seven curse. I'm gonna give it a seven.
0: A seven. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty pretty high. I I'm gonna give it a a two.
1: Okay, pretty low. Yeah. All right.
0: Um, yeah. There's there's reasons for that. I'm I mean I'm I'm Buddhist, so I don't necessarily believe in a devil, so selling a soul to the devil and the dying at 27, I mean, like, what, what's going to really push me over is if there's somebody that we can talk about that I wouldn't see them possibly dying at 27. All the people I believe we're going to talk about today, you're like, no, that makes sense that they died early in life because they lived a very, a very hard lifestyle. So that's what's going to put me over. Hmm. Just so you know.
1: All right, interesting.
0: All right, well, we covered Robert Johnson. We have six more people to talk about.
1: Yeah. I, we definitely spent more time on Robert than we will on yes. some of the others just because we we feel like one, his story is the most interesting and two, people haven't heard about him. So he kind of needed a little bit more.
0: Well, is there a tie-in that now you talked about where maybe, maybe it's Robert Johnson's way of bringing these people in To replace him Mm. so that he could finally rest in peace. Creepy. Find out more after this break. Hey, Rebecca, guess what? What's that? Well, you know how we want Ghostly to not only tell and debate great stories, but also to give back to those in need? We do. Yeah, well, I've discovered this new app called PodCoin that lets you donate to charities with the currency you earn just for listening to our podcast or any podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, on PodCoin, you earn their digital currency, PodCoin, just for listening to podcasts.
1: That sounds easy.
0: It is. You can then donate your PodCoin to charities who will get real money donations and you can also choose to save your PodCoin over time and exchange it for other rewards like Amazon and Starbucks.
1: That's great.
0: Who doesn't like Starbucks?
1: Um, I hope no one. Yeah. Because I love Starbucks.
0: Yeah, they'll give you um, gift cards right cool. there.
1: And you could donate those gift cards too.
0: You could, yeah. So download PodCoin in the App Store or in Google Play and use our special code, Ghostly, to receive 300 PodCoins just for checking it out. Awesome. And just like that, we are back.
1: Let's do this.
0: So they often say that death comes in threes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But this time, it came in fours. Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison all died within exactly two years. Wow. To the day. They were all tremendous artists whose death solidified the idea of the 27 Club to many. Okay. Not to me,
1: but to many. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brian Jones was the founder of the Rolling Stones. Brian was originally a slide guitarist and Keith Richard's style complimented his very well. But Brian played a ton of other instruments too. I mean, like I- I've never heard of someone that played this many instruments. Music was definitely his thing. He was gifted, he was a mm. gifted musician. He played from keyboards to saxophone. I mean, you know, I often hear of people that play guitar. They can play banjo. They can play bass. They can play a lot of different stringed instruments. But for him to go from keyboards, guitar, to saxophone, those are not easy. So you really have to know your music.
1: Definitely uh, very different instruments.
0: Yeah, they are definitely. Brian, like the other three in the 27 Club that we're going to say, had a major drug problem, though, Hmm. towards the end of his short life. All of them had a very short life. Brian had wanted the band to be more bluesy. Brian is actually the person that turned Keith Richards on to the music of one Robert Johnson.
1: Whoa, (laughs) full circle. Yeah,
0: right? Brian was asked to leave the Stones in 1969.
1: Yeah, I guess his addiction was just getting...
0: It was, but also he he wanted the band to go in a much different direction mm. than what they actually did. Okay. Brian Jones died on July 3rd, 1969 by drowning. Uh, although members of the Rolling Stone believe he was murdered by Frank Thorogood, who was doing some work at Brian's property and was the last to see him alive, supposedly he confessed to the murders to the Stones' uh, driver. Whoa. I want to have a driver one day. Yeah. That'd be nice.
1: It would be nice.
0: But then someone would have to confess to my murder then to them. So <laughs> that, that wouldn't be good. Another thing that ties these together is after Jones died, both Jimi Hendrix dedicated a song to him and Jim Morrison wrote a poem for him.
1: Oh, wow. So they he was definitely influential even to the musicians of his day.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I try to make a connection between all of these four. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see that as a pattern going Mm -hmm. forward.
1: Right. So he listened to Robert Johnson and Mm -hmm. then obviously Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison listened to him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, also made such an impact that they did things after after he died. Yeah. So that's my Brian Jones side. We're going to cover all of these four artists first and then you can talk to us about that yeah
1: oh definitely they like i said they all kind of get grouped together a lot yes so just brief histories of of each of these yes
0: although they're all very different musicians i would love to have seen them all get together before their 27th birthday and have a um have a super group a super rock group start super (laughs) rock blues group so now we're going to talk about Jimi hendrix Jimi Hendrix was another person that people would say was one of the most talented guitar- guitarists of all times. I don't think that that would be argued if you put him in a top 10 list.
1: No, I don't think Maybe so. Maybe
0: even a top five list. Mm. I know you're a big fan of Eddie Van Halen as we've talked about.
1: <laughs> I do like Eddie Van Halen's yeah. guitar work, yes.
0: Yes, yeah, so I mean, maybe you wouldn't see him as one of the best.
1: Oh, but... no, I love Jimmy. I, I would prefer listening to Jimi Hendrix over oh, Van Halen. really?
0: So. Okay. Yeah. So at the age of 15, he was majorly influenced by Robert Johnson. What? And used to listen to him a lot and try to emulate him and other blues guitarists. Wow! Yeah, Jimmy really wanted to be a blues guitarist.
1: Well, I mean, again, to even to be in rock, I mean, that is it comes from the blues, so you got to learn yes. that, you know.
0: Yeah, Jimmy was one of one of the musicians that played at Woodstock.
1: Yeah, a lot of times when people think of him or the videos they've seen of him, yes. it's often from that.
0: Yes, uh, ever since a night at a jazz club in 1962, Hendrix was drinking daily. He said he went in there with $400 and he left with like $16. Whoa. And to think about it back in those days.
1: Yeah. Oh, my yeah, gosh.
0: You weren't spending you know $15 for a drink at the bar back right. in those days. So he was pretty drunk. Hmm. And he also was probably giving away money to people. I'm guessing. Um, that was after he was in the service that he did that. And he did a lot of drinking ever since that day, he was drinking every single day. And he first used LSD, which he's, he's notable as one of the people that have used LSD. He first started using that in 1966. People said that Hendrix would become angry and violent when he mixed alcohol with drugs, which was any time he did drugs, really, because he drank every day, right? Yeah, right. And when he was on tour, he was known for doing drugs. So when he was on tour, he was probably not a nice person to be around. Yeah. But probably not as often as people would think as far as the drug use goes. He didn't do drugs that often.
1: Okay. More drinking.
0: More drinking was his thing. Uh, Jimi Hendrix died on September 18th, 1970 of asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. On his last day, he was offered barbiturates uh, after already drinking, of course, because he drank every day. The person recommended that he only take a half a pill, but in pure Jimmy fashion, he took nine.
1: Oh my gosh, that's a lot.
0: So that's 18 times the recommended dosage. Wow. That mixed with the alcohol was all it took. He was unresponsive, but probably would have lived. Uh, There is some speculation as to who put him on his back, but he ended up choking on his own vomit.
1: Wow. I mean, I think today we kind of learn that when you're in health class and it's like you're learning CPR and all that and first yeah. aid, you know, to put people on their side. But yes. But back then maybe that wasn't a generally known thing.
0: No. And I think that Jimi Hendrix really um, made that an impact where people that, you know, are drunk and puke or people that puke, they're they're often told to put them on their side. Yeah. Um. And to tie this together with another one of these four, a year and a half before Hendrix died, Jim Morrison joined him on stage at the Scene Club in New York. Wow. I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, that that would have been
1: an amazing show.
0: So we're going to move on to Janis Joplin now. Janis was an amazing singer, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. She definitely was. She sang rock, soul, and blues.
1: She's just... Like this icon for me. Like I Absolutely love her. And just that she was in this boys' club and just did her own thing and she so did. powerful.
0: She did. She was always Janice, hundred percent Janice all the time. But she was heavily influenced by the blues, which as we've already stated, blues after Robert Johnson was was influenced already mm-hmm. by, by his playing. So indirectly she was Influenced by Robert Johnson. For sure. Janice rose to fame after an appearance at the Monterey Pop Festival.
1: Okay, California. Yeah. She's definitely a very California girl.
0: She definitely was. And um, I don't know if you knew this, but Janice and Jim Morrison met at a party after being thrown together by a producer, Paul Rothschild. And there was this immediate chemistry between them.
1: I have not heard this story before. It does not surprise me though, uh, that they would be attracted to each other. They just seem like, you know, two right? like blazing lights, you know, that like, yes. yeah.
0: Yeah, they seem very similar in style and everything, except uh, Jim Jim was a little weirder than Janice, I would yeah, say. Yeah,
1: and she was maybe a little more hippie. I mean, he was that too, but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But they kept drinking throughout the night. Right? Ah, okay. They were throwing back these bottles mm-hmm. left and right. Jim, in really Jim Morrison fashion, got rude after being totally drunk. Mm. And when Janice tried to leave, Jim followed her to her car and he reached in to grab Janice by her hair. Not cool. No, definitely not cool. But Janice didn't know what to do. So she grabbed her bottle of Southern Comfort, which she was known for. And hit him over the head with it, knocking Jim Morrison out cold.
1: Way to go, Janice. Right? (laughs) Jeez, she's lucky she had that bottle.
0: Yeah. And um, from that day, actually, um, from that day forward, Jim Morrison would always ask about her
1: Mm -hmm. until
0: the producer, um, Paul Rothschild, had to tell him, no, she does not think that you guys should be together. Yeah,
1: dude, not gonna happen. You tried to rape me, not gonna happen. I
0: don't know about rape, but it was like- Well,
1: I mean, yeah. What else do you think he was gonna do with her when he pulled her out by her hair?
0: Oh, argue with her more.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll see, but just, it's a dangerous situation. I'm glad she got out of it.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. So, in her final days, Janis Joplin was scheduled to provide vocal tracks for a song called Buried Alive in the Blues. Very Robert Johnson-ish, right? hmm And didn't show up to the studio on October 4th,
1: 1970. Oh.
0: So, a road manager drove to the hotel that she was staying at, and he found her dead on the floor beside her bed. The road manager believes Joplin had been given heroin that was much more potent than normal, as several of her dealers, other customers also ov- overdosed that week.
1: Yeah, I mean that still happens today, where you know a bad batch of something gets out there, and then all of a sudden a rash of people die. You know? Yeah,
0: I don't know though, because I, I, this is just a thought that I that I have after going over some of the research is that right before this happened, um, she was feeling kind of alone. And she asked for some friends to come visit her, and they never showed up.
1: Mm, yeah, I had heard about that, too. And
0: she was really, like, this really affected her. In fact, like, when you think of Janis Joplin, what time do you think she went to sleep at night?
1: Well, probably pretty late, like 2 in the morning.
0: 2 in the morning. That would be, like, a late night for us. For Janis, right. <laughs> it would be, like, probably the next day. yeah. Probably was up all night.
1: Six a.m. Yeah, yeah.
0: But she told the hotel manager to stop all calls at midnight, mm. which for sure she wasn't sleeping at midnight. Yeah. So I, something about her death just kind of makes me suspect something else.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Mm. But Janis Joplin died on October fourth, nineteen seventy, of a drug overdose, probably heroin. All right. So that was Janis Joplin. Okay. One more to go through, and one then one more, and then you could do all your talking. I know you got something planned for all these four. So, <laughs> Jim Morrison was a singer of the band The Doors and a poet and a jerk, a jerk, yeah. Uh, especially when he was drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, would you expect a rock star to be anything but a drunk and a jerk?
1: Yeah, you can still be a gentleman,
0: maybe. Yeah, yeah. I would be right.
1: Well, I'm sure Jimi Hendrix was. Well, I guess I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, he was angry when he was drunk, too. Yeah. So when Jim Morrison was four years old, Morrison allegedly witnessed a car accident in the desert during which a truck overturned and some Native Americans were lying injured at the side of the road. Morrison believed this incident to be the most formative event of his life and made repeated references to it in the imagery in his songs, poems, and interviews.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, and what was really interesting about doing that part of the research... I mean I knew of that story but his his father actually was like no that never that never happened. He said yeah we did see yeah some indians that got into an accident and um and yeah a couple of them died but yeah
1: what like, <laughs> so well, he kind of confirmed dead? it like, right? it's like i mean that never happened i mean maybe we saw some indigenous people get killed but i mean like it didn't happen like what yeah it doesn't make any sense well, so he obviously used the term, it, it he used the
0: term indians too so yeah yeah, yeah um so it, it it happened and you can't say what affects one person you know mm-hmm. is not to to the length that he's saying that it affected him yeah Uh, In his life, Morrison was sought after by many as a photographer's model.
1: I could see that. As a confidant. Oh, okay, interesting. As a
0: romantic partner. Mm. And a sexual conquest.
1: That I understand a little more.
0: What? Mm -hmm. You have a thing for Jim Morrison?
1: I mean, he is good looking. I guess maybe I have more of a Val Kilmer crush from the movie.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, I listened to an interview about him gaining weight and stuff and, oh, weird. and he talked about uh, it was kind of funny in his interview because he talked about when he was in college that he was given meal tickets and he felt that if he didn't use each one of these meal tickets that um, that he was being wasteful uh, sure so he made it a point to wake up every morning at six thirty to go get breakfast and he talked about how starchy the food was and stuff and he's like yeah I would get pancakes and eggs and sausage and toast He'd get like everything, and then he would go for lunch and he'd get, you know, mashed potatoes and stuff. And yeah, and then he just kept talking about just how being fat is beautiful.
1: Well, you know they call that the freshman fifteen. <laughs> There's a name for that when you get to college. But most
0: people don't go into it like expecting that. And he was like so oh, happy, he like
1: was wanted to gain the weight.
0: Yeah, he was so happy that he was that he weighed like 185 pounds because he felt that this was big enough to just knock people over when he walked by.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I guess okay. So he was a jerk. But I guess maybe he was also body positive to some extent. Right. At least for men. He mm. said
0: there's nothing wrong with being fat and that he finds it beautiful.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Although the women that he dated were not necessarily what I would call fat. Yeah. So I'm just uh, saying. Just saying. People say that the seeing The Doors live, they claim it was like flipping a coin. One side of the coin, you would see the most amazing show and other times it was a complete disaster. Mm. And it all had to do with what, Point Jim Morrison was at where you know where he was at what drugs he did that day wow because yeah he did a lot of drugs Morrison developed an alcohol dependency during the nineteen sixties which at times affected his performances on stage he actually was uh, put on trial because they believed or the audience um, maybe not the audience maybe it was the police believed that he pulled a certain part of his anatomy out out of his pants and showed the audience.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that
0: So he was put on trial for that and that really hurt him. Like, one thing about Jim Morrison, he studied how to control an audience and he would push them to the point where they were almost, almost like riot. Mm. They were almost in a riot-like condition Mm -hmm. and then bring them back. But when he was heavily sedated on drugs he would forget to bring him back. Oh,
1: okay, so they So
0: they would be very angry at hmm. that time. So um, yeah, that really affected him. And um, right after the trial, he moved to Paris with, a, with his longtime partner of his, uh, Pamela Corson. This was probably also to avoid the multiple paternity actions pending against him. Hmm. So there's probably little Jim Morrison's running around there somewhere. Also, is believed that he spent the time there to sober up and lose some weight that he had put on.
1: Okay, so, all right.
0: Yeah, so maybe he wasn't so body positive then. <laughs> and he did the most unthinkable thing that anybody can do at that time, too. He shaved his beard.
1: I don't remember him having a beard.
0: Oh, he did, yeah. Wow.
1: He, he had a
0: beard and gained a lot of weight and... um yeah, and that was a part of the Doors movie too. You you know.
1: Yeah, listener note: if you don't remember, Pat has a very uh, good sized beard. Oh, so, it's good size. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would say it's a good size. You know, not like um, oh, what's the the guitar?
0: Oh, ZZ Top. No
1: ZZ Top level, but uh, but but definitely not a go not just a goatee. I mean, it's a beard. So mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing to you, it would be unthinkable. It is, yeah. To shave that it's, off.
0: Yeah, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> Jim Morrison died on July 3rd, 1971, of heart failure, possibly from a drug overdose as well. Uh, he was found by Pamela in their bathtub. There was no autopsy done on Morrison, and some people believe that he faked his own death. So he might not actually be a part of the 27 Club either. Mm. And he often said that he was going to do this, and he would call up his bandmates and say that he was Mister Mojo Rison after he was assumed dead. And Mister Mojo Rison is a name he came up with by switching around the letters in his name.
1: So wait, are you saying that his bandmates claim that he did call them and say this after he died, or that no. they that he told them before he died? He that told he them was before going to he, do he died. This? Yeah. Okay.
0: He told them before he died that he was going to do this. Okay. But no. It didn't
1: happen, so none I of guessing. them none of
0: them have claimed maybe, you know, they just didn't want to reform the doors.
1: <laughs> Even
0: though they tore as the doors after that. Gotcha. So, that's what I have.
1: Wow. All right. whoo. Yeah. That was a lot of a lot of information. That
0: was a lot of information. Sorry that, you know, we had to wait until the end for you to talk, but now The stage is yours. Oh,
1: thank you. Uh, So as Pat said, this is when the curse really took hold, right? So all of them died really close together within this few years. uh, Two years. Two years, right? Exactly to the day. July 3rd to July 3rd. Two of them died two years. It was like the same day, right? July 3rd, but two years apart. Brian
0: Jones and Jim Morrison died two years to the day apart. And Janice and uh, Jimmy died like... Less than a month apart, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, I think
1: so. So it was. It, this was the moment where uh, this is when the public took notice of the age twenty seven as a um, as a thing, uh, and then obviously Robert Johnson kind of got pulled in later, but definitely a big a big thing. So with Joplin, it was pretty clear that it was heroin. Um, The others, it wasn't always so clear. I guess with Jimmy, it was pretty clear it was the barbiturates, but it was also really wasn't just that. It was him choking on his vomit. Um, With um, Brian Jones, um, obviously, as you mentioned, his bandmates uh, have have always thought it was very suspicious how he died. Uh, But what the thing was is that there weren't really um, autopsies done, except I think you said maybe for Hendrix, did they do one?
0: Yes, there was for Hendrix. That's how they did a toxicology report to find out that he had 18 times the recommended dose of barbiturates in him.
1: Yeah, but the others, they didn't. And so, therefore, there's always been speculation about exactly what happened. Was it suicide? Was it just an overdose? You know, well, what, what exactly happened?
0: In a lot of parts in the United States, if... They don't do an autopsy on just everybody that dies. No, first you have of all, to... the family has to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. Second of all, um, there has to be suspicion for some some kind of foul play. Yeah, um, and there was no suspicion of foul play with these people because they were all drug addicts.
1: Well, maybe this is a listener question too, though, because I've heard that if you die at home. That kind of automatically triggers a death investigation. Like if you're in the hospital, that's one thing, but anyone that dies at home, it, that's like more. Well,
0: late. these laws are county by county, mm, so it maybe it depends. With, yeah,
1: I'm just saying there. So where this is leading is there's a lot of theories out mm-hmm. there that perhaps you know there was a greater force at work with killing these people. Um, whether it was something that drove them to kill themselves, or, you know, gave them tainted drugs, or, "Oh, look, we found him dying and we didn't save him." or, you know, we kind of encouraged this behavior or whatever. Um, so I'll talk a little bit more about it as we get to the end, but definitely very suspicious, very mysterious nature of these deaths when you combine the timeline with it, and then also, something with the curse. Um, so the I, I didn't we don't have time to go into a million ghost stories. I will say people will visit Janice Joplin's the hotel room where she died. It's been left exactly the same.
0: Oh wow. Um
1: and like they, they say it's haunted, but I couldn't find any actual stories of people seeing anything okay. or whatever. So the biggest ghost story I could find associated with this group was a picture taken of Jim Morrison's grave. Mm. where there is a ghostly image that can be seen off to the right in the photo obviously I will put this in the show notes um and it is very clearly a figure that to me looks like Jim Morrison the way he's standing kind of that like, sl- like slightly I want to say slouchy but like just kind of like sexy Jim Morrison swagger <laughs> you know and he's there and um, what was interesting is that the the person who took the photo basically Took a bunch, of, they went to the grave, took a bunch of photos, but he didn't really look at the photos until like five years after. And then he noticed, like, oh my gosh, there's this figure in this photo. So he submitted it to a group to evaluate it. Um, and it, they claim, anyways, it's been tested and that it is a valid picture. It was included in a book of ghost pictures um, that are supposedly real. And to me, it looks pretty real.
0: Okay. Well, I would like to start this by saying, um, when we talk about the show notes, not all these apps display the show notes the same, and you might not see the pictures that Rebecca's talking about. So in order to see the pictures, you can go to ghostlypodcast.com and then click on the episodes button right at the top and go to this episode, and you will be able to see the show notes as we refer to it. Yes. Although some apps are better with you know showing all the pictures and everything, not all of them do,
1: yes, yeah, so you can so, always go to our website for that
0: absolutely um and then of course, you know we have to bring up a ghost story this is this is ghostly podcast absolutely. That's what We've we got do. a
1: couple more coming too,
0: so I have looked at this picture, yes, and i I can see a figure but i can't see the figure's head or hair so i can't necessarily say it's you know jim morrison necessarily but
1: obviously it's some sort of ghostly figure
0: i don't know <laughs> if i believe it's a ghostly figure <laughs> even because it could be a reflection now that that surface looks to be very reflective it doesn't look to be very matte it looks to be very shiny and to me that looks like a reflection of somebody was that was there and of course, I mean his fans are going to look a lot like him. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and he wasn't wearing like leather pants, which he was famous for in that picture. It looked more like jeans.
1: I don't know. I was going to say, I think to me it looked like it looks like a t-shirt, and the person's like got their arms out. I can see a head.
0: I but I can't make out like a face.
1: No, but it just and looks I can't make like out head. the hair. And it's so. his grave.
0: Yeah, but that surface looks very reflective, though.
1: I don't, it's stone. I don't think it looks very rough.
0: But it's like a marbly kind of stone where it could pick up images from something else. So yeah, it would test okay. And also too, we don't know about the development process. We don't know about what kind of camera it was taken on. Cameras really, I, you know, they take a snapshot of what is actually seen at that very minute, but they can be influenced by a lot of different factors, Whether it be dust on the lens, whether it be dirty cameras, whether it be that this was probably a 35 millimeter film, I would imagine. It was
1: in the 90s, so probably.
0: Yeah. So it could have had an overlay of a previous image.
1: Mm, I'm not sure. It doesn't look like that to me, but we'll we'll leave it up to the listeners. Yeah. As always. As
0: I said, it looks very reflective, though. Mm. So I think we probably need another break. (sighs) I think so. And then we are going to do the final two.
1: A final two. All
0: right. See you in a minute.
1: Hey, Pat. Fall is in the air.
0: Ooh, yeah, it is.
1: Yeah. And that means cooler weather, football, football. and of course, shopping. Shopping? Yeah like to school shopping, starting college shopping. I got a new job shopping, new season shopping. I just like shopping, shopping. Okay,
0: okay, I get it. Change means time to get some new stuff. And I bet our listeners would like some ghostly gear.
1: Oh yeah, great idea. What kind of gear are we talking about?
0: I don't know. How about some ghostly t-shirts and sweatshirts?
1: Yeah, and not just ones with the ghostly logo because those, those are really cool. But uh, how about also hashtag team believer to really show our team colors?
0: Um, and hashtag team skeptic, of course. Mm. So we've got men's and women's styles and even kid and baby sizes. So cute. It is very cute. And I also added a phone case and a water bottle.
1: Nice. (laughs) Where can our listeners get all this great ghostly gear?
0: Mm, That's pretty easy. If you want to get ghostly gear, just go to ghostlypodcast.com and click on merchandise up at the top.
1: Perfect. Go to ghostlypodcast.com and click on merchandise to get your great ghostly gear.
0: All right, we are back. Yes. So we're still talking about the 27 Club here. oh And now we're going to focus on one of the more recent people to enter the 27 Club. This is not a club you want to be part of. No,
1: definitely not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there's a waiting list for it.
1: No. Well, no. <laughs>
0: um. So there were a lot of people that passed away... After Jim Morrison and before Kurt Cobain. But we're going to focus on Kurt Cobain. As we said, we're going to focus on the more popular stories. But just keep in mind that they weren't all musicians, even though the ones that we're talking about are all musicians. They weren't all musicians. There was even athletes that died. Yeah, a of lot of athletes. Not um, a lot, but a couple.
1: Well, I would say it's uh, athletes to me almost was like the second biggest group. And then there's um, artists and actors. So. Yeah, a lot of a lot of different people, but yeah. but musicians do seem to, um, be the biggest group they by do. far. Yeah. Uh,
0: so with Kurt Cobain, there's a lot that people already know about Kurt Cobain.
1: A lot of movies, a lot of books, a yeah. lot of websites.
0: So I'm going to focus on some of the details that kind of stand out to me in reference to this episode and things you might not know about Kurt Cobain. Okay. So Kurt was known for being one of the biggest grunge musicians and one of the first to break into the spotlight. He was not one of the first grunge musicians, but he was one of the first to break out.
1: Oh, absolutely. I would say that he was one of the ones to make it more mainstream. Yeah. One of the ones.
0: I mean, you had bands like Mother Love Bone that became Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. You had Soundgarden. You had Alice in Chains and stuff like that that are more grungy in nature that were around at the same time, if not before, Nirvana, yeah, but Nirvana was the first to really break through, yeah Kurt had a difficult time with the idea of fame, though throughout his entire life, he did things that would keep him from being popular. He was very counter cultural, I would say,
1: yeah, that was something that was really I was alive during this time. I was very you were very young, this? yes. Um, but I remember, what, like three or four years old, right? Like that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, but I do remember that it was very cool to be different. You know what I yes. mean? Like it was like a, a thing where it was like you didn't want to like what everybody else no. liked. Like if,
0: flannels were really out, but right. then all of a sudden people were like, "No, I'm gonna wear them because they're comfortable."
1: Exactly.
0: And ever since then, I've been wearing flannels.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, it was like hair metal is amazing. And then yeah. it was like, no.
0: Yeah, no. just all of a sudden, too. Yeah, it was it was very, very quick. So, this idea of of him being um, counter cultural uh, fit in really well with the very concept of grunge. Although he listened to and related a lot to punk, to me, it just seemed like. I don't know, grunge was just easier for him. It's that his, yeah. that style, that that attitude towards things was just more his liking and more countercultural as we just said.
1: Yeah, I mean, man, being a punk takes work, man. That's some effort.
0: Yeah, right. So, I have a story about how they came up with Smells Like Teen Spirit.
1: Ah, my favorite.
0: Yeah, the song Smells Like Teen Spirit came from his friend Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill, of course. Everybody knows Bikini Kill. Uh, Kurt was talking about anarchism and punk rock. They both fit really well together, you know. Uh, Hannah spray-painted Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on Cobain's apartment wall. Teen Spirit, and I didn't know this, was the name of a deodorant. But Kurt wasn't aware of this. So he saw this as being a slogan being like a revolutionary slogan and meaning to him, so he took that really to heart.
1: <laughs> That's so funny. So I remember. So again, again, I was around at this time. Mm-hmm. Again, not you know, I was just you know g- coming of age a little bit, um, and uh, I used Teen Spirit deodorant <laughs> at what? this time. Yes, and it was funny because I remember when the song came out, it was like, "Why is he writing a song about the deodorant?" But it's so good, I don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was one of those uh, songs that don't actually say the title within the song. Yeah, no. He never yells out "Smells
1: like Teen Spirit." Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that was I remember my it was a big coup because my friend found the lyrics to oh, the song. Because yeah, yeah. back then it wasn't like you just could go online and get lyrics yeah. to a song. And so I knew the lyrics, yes. and I remember people got mad at me because I was like singing along to the song and knew the lyrics. And they're like, "You're not supposed to know the lyrics. That doesn't. Oh. That's not cool.
0: That's a re- that's a very Rebecca thing to do."
1: To be not cool, yeah. No, to know
0: the lyrics of a song and get people mad at you for knowing it. Yeah, well. You often tell me the lyrics I sing are wrong.
1: You tell me the lyrics I sing are wrong
0: sometimes. (laughs) So, Kurt started many bands, uh, one of which was a band called Fecal Matter. Nice, you know, family band, uh, which they wanted to do covers of Led Zeppelin, Ramones, and one Jimi Hendrix.
1: Ah, there you go, connection.
0: (laughs) Uh, the band disbanded in, in 1986 after being together for less than a year, though, mm. as were many of the bands that he formed before um, Nirvana. Throughout most of his life, Cobain suffered from chronic bronchitis and intense physical pain due to an undiagnosed chronic stomach condition. Although there are people that debate that, mm. that his, his st- stomach condition. Kurt suffered from chronic depression as well, and there was a family history of suicide, mental illness, and alcoholism. Kurt's first experience with heroin was in 1986. He used it sporadically until 1990 when he became a full-fledged addict. Cobain claimed that he was determined to get a habit as a way to self-medicate his stomach condition. It started with three days in a row of doing heroin and I don't have a stomach pain. That was such a relief. He related, although bandmates and people close to him say that no, the stomach conditions came when he started doing heroin, where it's where it's you know kind of common for people to throw up.
1: I was just gonna say it would make more sense to me that you would get a stomach condition from doing well. He said hard drugs, but they
0: said that he used that.
1: Yeah, but to a be lot able of,
0: to allow him to do right. Heroin. But a
1: lot of people obviously self-medicate with drugs, so yeah. you know, I mean. Especially back then, you didn't necessarily, like mental illness wasn't as well known no. and accepted, and there weren't the medications that we have today to help yeah. people um, overcome those, so you you would pick your own Absolutely. medication. Basically.
0: I'm not saying, you know, I mean, he was a rock star, and that was something that rock stars did kind of back mm-hmm. in those days. So I'm not arguing that. I'm just stating facts that I read about.
1: I'm not arguing either.
0: You're debating it, I think. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In his final days, he had flown to Rome for medical treatment for his bronchitis and laryngitis. His wife, Courtney Love, woke up on March 4th, 1994, to find that Kurt had overdosed on a combination of champagne and sleeping pills. What a combination, right? Uh, He was rushed to the hospital and was unconscious for a day. After five days of treatment, he was released and returned to his home in Seattle, Washington. Love later realized that this was actually a suicide attempt. On March 18, 1994, Love called the Seattle police, informing them that Cobain had locked himself in a room with a gun and was suicidal, although Kurt debated this with the police and said that he really wasn't trying to commit suicide. Uh, And the police eventually left. Now that we know what happened, this seems more realistic. Yeah. Love staged an intervention that eventually got Kurt into an LA rehab. But on April 1st, Kurt scaled a wall outside the rehab and took the next flight to Seattle. And on this flight, he sat next to Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. And Duff said that he knew something was wrong.
1: Small world, man.
0: It is, definitely. So nobody knew his whereabouts during this time after the flight and up until his body was discovered. Although there were sightings of him throughout Seattle. Interesting. Um, and Love, I believe, was on tour at this time. So she hired a private investigator to kind of track him down. The private investigator didn't turn up anything, but an electrician that was hired eventually found his body on April 8th. Uh, At first, actually, the electrician did not think he was dead. He thought he was sleeping. Oh, wow. Although there was blood around his ear, and then he noticed that the gun was by his chin. Mm. And so that's what kind of alerted him. So officials say that he committed suicide on April 5th, 1994, so three days before that. A note was found addressed to Cobain's childhood imaginary friend, Boda, that stated that Cobain had not felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music, along with really writing, for too many years now.
1: It's like his note is very... um... Uh, emotional. I mean, there's definitely. a lot more to it, so or some more to it. So I remember I definitely check it out.
0: I remember Courtney Love read it, mm-hmm. and it was broadcast on the radio, and I listened to it, and I was really shaken up by it.
1: Yeah, it was. That was a crazy time. I remember Absolutely, that day. Mm.
0: They did do a toxicology report, and it found that there were high concentrations of heroin and valium in his system at the time. Dave Grohl said something really interesting about Kurt Cobain, and he said that he believed that he knew Cobain would die at an early age, saying that sometimes you just can't save someone from themselves, and in some ways, you kind of prepare yourself emotionally for that to be a reality. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you have to say about Kurt Cobain, Rebecca?
1: Well, I don't have a lot. Um, I know we're, we're getting tired, and I, <laughs> it was a long episode. Mm-hmm. But um, I, you had actually mentioned my quote that I was going to give um, earlier, which was that Cobain's mother nice. um, said that she didn't want him to join that stupid club. Uh, and actually, the more I've read about it, I mean, he, did, he knew about the 27 Club. Like, he had said to people... He was worried that he was going to go down that path and and join that group, and you know, you do wonder did he know something that you know would make him think that,
0: or did he prepare for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, or you know, I mean, was that kind of the deal that he made with himself, with the devil, yeah. with whoever, um, with the devil within something? Um, but then, uh, and then, I do have one ghost story. Okay. Um, for Kurt uh, Cobain, it was that Courtney Love claims that she once saw him. She was moving into a new place um, with uh, Edward Norton, who she was with for a while. Anyway, she said she saw uh, Cobain sitting in a chair and he said hi to her before fading away.
0: Uh, well first before I get into the debate part I would like to point out that Smells Like Teen Spirit is actually Rebecca's favorite song.
1: It is. Yeah. It was just a k right when I was becoming a teenager, you know this thing came out and it and was And you used just, the
0: deodorant?
1: I used the deodorant. No, but it was just like before then it, I feel like I didn't have any of my own musical taste. It was yeah. just kind of like what my older brother listened to slash what was popular on the radio.
0: Which your older brother does the music for this podcast
1: yeah he's got amazing musical taste i will totally he does and he that.
0: runs the whole spectrum i mean he loves classical music but he loves a little punk and a little
1: uh mastodon pop. yeah <laughs> he likes everything but yeah. uh but it, but anyways it was just that song especially it really spoke to me and you know our um my generation and um yeah and then when he died that was just so devastating
0: yeah Uh, So as for the 27 Club part of it, I would rather wait until the end when we do a summary of things. I
1: think so. To
0: debate that fact because it all kind of ties in. Like I could say the same thing for him that I would say for every single one of them. Definitely. But um, I will say that the ghost story part of it, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Courtney Love is definitely a credible witness.
1: I'm sensing (laughs) sarcasm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if she ever wants to come on the show and discuss this, I would be happy to have her on the show as long as she keeps her clothes on.
1: I was going to say, she would would eat you for breakfast. Probably literally eat me for
0: breakfast. Although for her, breakfast would probably come at like four o'clock in... the afternoon though
1: well she's a little older now i think maybe that might not be the case (laughs) Uh,
0: so yeah i would say that her drug habits probably provoke these images unfortunately of and and going through such a such an emotional time there there was a time when i you know i was struggling with the idea of kurt cobain committing suicide yes and um I actually had someone that I knew commit suicide when I was younger, too, Mm. when I when I was a teenager and um, he had sent me a letter and I was never allowed to read this letter.
1: What is he? You mean it's said on there, don't read this?
0: No, like my my mom took it from me, sent it to the police and the police would not allow me to have the letter.
1: That's awful.
0: Well, I mean, there were a lot of like suicide clubs.
1: Well, that, that is true. There, there's there's actually certainly evidence uh, of of that happening. You yeah. know, kind of a, yeah.
0: Speaking of suicides, would you be able to put a suicide hotline um, number in the show notes?
1: I will. And I will also put in some information for um, addiction as well.
0: Yes, please. Yeah. Please do. Um, so yeah, I, you know, so how, well, we never even talked about, how you felt about the four people, the Brian, Jimi Hendrix? So, what was your rating on the, on those? Oh, four?
1: my rating on those. Uh, oh, that one, man, that's like a that's like an eight. An eight. Yeah, those man, the four, those four. Wow. Some fu- some fishy, some mm. fishy about those four. Okay. All happening within two years, these big stars. Mm. You know, they were not happy with that counterculture that was out there.
0: No, so. What would you say your number is for the Kurt Cobain?
1: Kurt Cobain is more of a 6 for me because he really okay. was depressed and had had tried to commit suicide before in his life. So you know that one it's like do I think maybe he was influenced by the idea of the 27 Club? I don't know though cuz part of my argument is just that these are people that were super influential. Again, the devil doesn't take you if you're mediocre. Right yeah. Now. Did I say that right? This yeah. that's my one I say wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, Rebecca has problems saying mediocre. I do. She says media car or something like that.
1: <laughs> media core or something yeah. like that. <laughs> like Manticore, I don't know. Uh
0: so yeah, for me, so the the four, the Brian, Jimi Hendrix, Janice Joplin, and Jim Morrison, I I don't at all believe that there's a twenty seven club and I have evidence to support that at the end. So um but just because they were so close together, well, I, I don't know. I, Robert
1: Johnson was a two. What would you say for these guys?
0: I would say, I would say two okay. as well. I'm gonna probably stick with two for everything that's in this. That's okay, that's okay. Just because, you know, it's it's fascinating concept, mm-hmm. but I just can't believe, and we'll talk about that yeah. at the end okay. of this. okay, all right. So we have one final one to get through. Yes. And that is Amy Winehouse. Yes. Okay. Well, do you want to do this one, Rebecca? Oh, sure. Since, you know, I've been talking a lot. I was going to say,
1: you have a lot. You've you've been doing some heavy lifting this episode Yeah. (laughs) all this history. So yeah, go ahead and tell us the history. (laughs) All right. So Amy Winehouse was an amazing singer with a heavy blues influence. Again, there's that blues, right? You can't have rock without the blues. She was nominated and won a lot of awards for her music. From an early age, her grandmother, Cynthia, who was also a musician, her her whole family was very musical, um, but her her grandmother uh, especially saw she had a lot of talent and encouraged her with that. So by the age of 20, she already had major labels interested in her. And I actually thought this was really weird um, that she was kept as like a recording industry secret. Like they Hmm. didn't want anyone to know like, Oh, we found this amazing star. Um, So people would ask like, who's singing? They would just say like, Oh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you, you know, it was really, really weird. Um, So she signed a deal with Island records and released her first album, Frank. um, And it was in the upper levels of the UK album chart in 2004. Her next album, Back to Black, which is when I first heard of her, um, saw a lot of international success and made her basically like a household name, Yeah, right? Like everybody knew who she was. Um, now, uh, I think we also, if you've heard of Amy Winehouse, know that her most famous song was Rehab. Yes. And that was on that album. That yeah. was on that album. Um, hit the top 10 in both the UK and the US, and Time Magazine named it the best song of 2007. Um so then, it wasn't really a surprise to anyone to find out that Winehouse battled substance abuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you have a song that says they want me to go to rehab, but I say no, 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 it's not really a surprise then. Yeah, to find out um, that maybe
0: you no, no, maybe.
1: You know, <laughs> right that's, that's where I'm
0: leaning towards no she did actually go to rehab a couple times she
1: did she did um a lot of media attention on this. Um, in August of 2007 she had to cancel a number of shows um, she had overdosed um, on a bunch of substances uh, heroin ecstasy cocaine uh, ketamine which that's the scary one
0: yeah it's a sedative
1: yeah um, and alcohol yeah um in 2008. She seemed to quit everything. Uh, Winehouse said she woke up. I literally woke up one day and was like, "I don't want to do this anymore." Uh, there's some really good. There's a really good, um, moot documentary, with with her and her manager, and it kind of takes you through a lot of yeah. Her I watched that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, her father. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, her father had stated that she had numerous health problems, one of which was emphysema. He had said that her lungs were only operating at seventy percent, and she had an irregular heartbeat. Um, he said those were health problems caused by her chain smoking uh, and crack cocaine. No chain smoking, chain crack, smoking cocaine. crack cocaine. Yeah. Oh wow, geez. Yeah. Um, well, also she was she was like bulimic or anorexic, yes. right? I mean, she was so thin and
0: at times,
1: yeah. And then if yeah. you're singing, you know, that really, yeah, uh, that'd be hard to do if you're only operating at seventy percent. Um, now okay here's a connection so in order to maintain sobriety um, Winehouse would have to take long breaks from touring and performing it was a constant struggle as every time she would perform she would use Jimi Hendrix had the same thing right it was like when he toured
0: no he was drinking every single day and sometimes when he was touring he was doing drugs
1: Okay, but I mean like he would like that was like a trigger for him he was
0: constantly touring though um, throughout throughout his life, but maybe maybe there is a connection to that. I don't know.
1: No, it's just that you had talked about it when we talked oh, about yeah. him. You specifically said that like that was like a trigger for him. So I just thought that okay. was an interesting connection.
0: I didn't way. mean it in that that way. Then I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. But you know, I was going to say that her father used the media, uh, which the English media was totally different than the U.S. media. They they're like paparazzi crazy there. Uh, they are taking pictures. They are right oh, up yeah. in people's business they all are. the time. They're mm-hmm. they're very rude when it yeah. comes to this stuff. Yes. Uh so even if Ghostly went there, I mean we would be hounded by the <laughs> press. And her father used the media to to talk to her. Yeah. Because she wouldn't listen to him.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Um So that was 2008, right? That she was trying to be sober. By 2011, she'd started to drink again. Um, And of course she went back into, because she had gone back into playing music and performing. She um, played five dates in Brazil in 2011 in January. And then in June, she started a 12 leg European tour. So local media described her performances as a scandal and a disaster. She was booed off the stage because she was too drunk to perform. It was reported that she was unable to remember the city she was in, the lyrics to her songs, or when trying to introduce them, the names of uh, the members of her band. So, uh, it, you know, it's kind of clear to the public that things were going downhill for her. In uh, On July 23rd, 2011, her bodyguard went to wake her up at 10 a.m., but she wouldn't get up and was unresponsive. Uh, the bodyguard didn't think anything of this because it was kind of normal for her to sleep in, but when he came back again at 3 p.m., he noticed that she was in the same position, so then he went to bother to check on her, and she wasn't breathing. Um, he called the ambulance, but it was too late um, she was she was dead
0: can i can I interject with yeah. something? There is a lot of speculation that the bodyguard was up to no good in this whole thing, like the bodyguard pressured her to perform, mm. even though she knew that by performing, this was going to lead to her using again, And she didn't want to, but her bodyguard forced her to. And in fact, in the one concert that you were saying where she couldn't remember the lyrics to her song, she didn't want to perform that night, and the bodyguard forced her to perform.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was... Like she
0: was in no condition to perform.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I I do think that the outside influence certainly might have played a... um, a role in her death, especially, or you know, even the studios. I mean, who knows if the studio hadn't paid the bodyguard to make sure she went on stage? Maybe, yeah. You know, because again, they're losing money if she doesn't go out yeah. there.
0: But the way I wrote up the notes kind of implies that the bodyguard was like the hero or something, like you know, is one that found oh, her and right, stuff. Right, right. I just want to say. Bodyguard might not have been that great of a person.
1: Actually, I don't even think he sounds like that much of a hero either, because it sounds very—it's very suspicious to me that he saw her and was like, "Well, I mean, I just assumed, you know, even though she didn't respond to me, I didn't bother to go check and make sure she was still breathing." Yeah,
0: right. You know, yeah, yeah,
1: very suspicious. Uh, The coroner labeled the death as a misadventure, which sounds to me like an accidental. It's a very British thing to say. Yeah, I would would say yeah. Her blood alcohol level was five times the legal limit. Um, According to the coroner, the unintended consequences of such potentially fatal levels was her sudden death.
0: Yeah. And also her brother came out and her brother does not believe it was necessarily the alcohol only. Her brother states that it's it's because she was bulimic too. And her weight was so low that the alcohol really influenced her. And she was probably drinking the same amount that she would normally drink. The Mm. bodyguard stated that it didn't look like she was drinking that much. Um, but yeah.
1: yeah, well, no, when you're bulimic, I mean, your heart isn't strong. There's yes. issues with your heart. So, you know, that I could see, I mean, that happens often with heroin addicts too, where they get clean and yeah. then if they decide to like have that one time, yes, they do the same amount that they used to do Yeah, when they were at the height of their addiction. And that's what kills them is when them. they stop. Yeah. And then yeah. they go back into it. Right. It's, it's a horrible. Yeah. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Nancy Reagan. <laughs> yeah. Channeling through me. Wow. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> Just say no.
0: That's a public service announcement by Rebecca. Uh, so, okay. So you have some stuff to say about this, too. Sorry to make you do all the work and then have to now tell your ghost story part That's of it. That's okay.
1: Not a problem. Um, so like Kurt uh, Cobain, there are people who claimed that Amy Winehouse was worried about dying early and especially at the age of 27. Uh, again, they, this, the curse at this point was a known thing. Um, so it has to weigh heavily on you if you are a famous young person. Um, it feels like to me, that Winehouse was someone who might have been very affected by, I haven't introduced this idea yet, the idea of the Saturn return.
0: Ooh, what's that? Ooh.
1: So this is an astrological idea. It's actually in, but you can find it in both Western and Chinese zodiac. With the Western specifically, it's about the idea that when um, Saturn returns to the same house that it was in when we were born, um, that, um, this this is usually like, they say it's 29 years, but it can be anywhere from like 27 to 30. Um, At this point, we start to really question our move into adulthood, Mm -hmm. right? So for this first return, Um, and then actually, if you make it past this first one, um, you know, every 29-ish years, you kind of go through the same cycle again of questioning and and everything. Um, And honestly, what I read about Winehouse is really seriously at this point, she was at that struggle of like, what's next? Yeah. What do I do? Because this lifestyle isn't working for me. If I do this, I use and I get sick and I feel like I've already kind of done a lot of stuff musically. What's my next step? Like, I don't want to just keep making the same stuff anymore. And a lot of artists kind of go through that struggle. Um, and I think she didn't make it through that yeah. struggle. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's kind of my my um, thing with her with the curse. It's a, like a kind of a different idea to okay. introduce in there. Uh, and then I just have one quick ghost story. Cause of okay. course we got to have a ghost story. We
0: are ghostly after we all. are
1: ghostly. Um, so similar to Cobain, um, Winehouse's dad. So not, you know, she wasn't married, but her dad, Mitch claims to have see her ghost. He thinks, uh, he says that she appears at the end of his bed. Um, and, you know, doesn't necessarily really like say anything, but just kind of is there. He'll try to talk to her, um, and then also that she shows herself as a blackbird to him and to the rest of the family. Hmm. Um, she had a blackbird tattoo on her arm. Oh
0: yeah, I remember that. Yeah,
1: and the one story he tells is that a blackbird. This was right uh, pretty soon after her death that a blackbird landed um, and kind of or it, like hit itself into the window. Uh-huh. Um, but anyways, it was sitting there while they were sitting outside and the blackbird came and just like sat then um, mm. with them and was singing. Oh, and they all thought like, oh, it's Amy, she's here.
0: Um. Well, so I'm gonna wait because I think you're gonna talk about the Saturn return again, right?
1: I, yeah, I'll bring it up a little bit again. Yeah, yeah with this.
0: But what, what I do wanna say is that I believe at various stages in people's life that they, you know, there are, there are times when you reflect there's, there's time to look over your life and make sure that you're going in the right direction. And I don't believe that this necessarily relates to any zodiac sign or anything like that. I believe that it's just a pattern in life. Like the, what is it? Every seven years, you become completely different person. All the cells have died. Oh off. right, yeah. Is it seven or eleven years?
1: Something like that. I yeah, don't know.
0: That all the cells have died off, and you you're a completely different person uh, structurally, and that would lead to different, you know, choices. And you have that time to reflect. So I don't believe it's an uncommon thing, even in science.
1: Yeah. Well, the Chinese zodiac is every seven years, so that makes sense with that. Though. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, as for seeing the ghost, um, I believe when tragedy strikes and when somebody leaves us very suddenly like that, that it's often easy to take what's happening in the world. I recently had a death of somebody uh, and I did the same thing where I was like, and even though I'm, I'm a skeptic, I still was like, no, there's a hummingbird coming to me, and that means this, and that means that. It's easy to attribute these things to that kind of thing because we're mourning. It's part of the mourning process. And when my father passed away, I would often have dreams of him, you know, not necessarily really dead, like he faked his death or something, and he just woke up and it felt really real. And it's part of the grieving process to go through this. Also, with Amy, you know, um, if she really feared the 27 club, not to say she didn't, but maybe that should have been a driving factor for her to get cleaned up. And she would still be here today if it wasn't for the drugs and alcohol and the bulimia. I mean, she should have went out and, you know, really tried to get help. And I know it's hard in those times to do something like that. That's part of the disease that is, that is addiction. But She had a driving force, though, and that was her fear for the 27 Club. So you would think that if that was strong enough, it would have pushed her to do more.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Unless it wasn't something she had a choice.
0: Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Mm. All right, so that's all that we have to say about those seven people. But Rebecca wrote up a summary of the 27 Club, And this will be our final debate, debating not the ghost stories in there, but we are going to be looking at the idea of the 27 Club now. So are you ready?
1: Okay, so we've told you the stories, right? As Pat said, of the seven most well-known members of the 27 Club. As we also mentioned, there are many more members. If you look online, you can find lots of lists. I just wanted to mention a couple more that aren't musicians. Uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat was uh, an artist in New York. Um,
0: I'm I'm glad you said that.
1: (laughs) Very famous um, graffiti artist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, His stuff is worth a lot of money, um, and he also died of... um, think a drug overdose was um, he the
0: one that did things with currency like dollar bills or something not or am i thinking kn- of someone else i think you might okay. be thinking of someone else he did Sorry. stuff on
1: like walls he actually painted this door that just sold for like a few years ago sold for an insane amount of money um <laughs> another name some of you uh older folks in the, in the audience might remember not old but you know whatever not the super young ones but uh jonathan Brandis. Uh, He was in a show called Sequest DSV. Never saw it. (laughs) Um, And he was in commercials and stuff and he uh, modeled and everything. But it was one of those child stars that then never really could make it as an adult.
0: And you have a thing for male models too, so... (laughs)
1: uh and then anton Yelchin um this is a much more recent yes death very recent. um just a few years ago. if you saw any of the more modern Star Trek movies, the ones with um um oh chris pine as yes. um kirk uh, yes. uh um captain Kirk. as captain kirk um he played Chekhov. yes, and he was so adorable he and was. loved oh, he was the one of the best parts of those movies, and yeah. I don't think they've made one since he died um
0: no, but I think they are making one. I'm now. sure
1: they will, but it, I think it took everybody a while. And he was actually also a musician too. He yes, was a he bassist, was. I yeah. believe. Um, so the question then is, right, as just a reminder, we kind of said this earlier in the episode, but the question is, Are these de- are the deaths of these artists the result of a curse? Okay. So let's try to delve in, right, and see what points are out there on this. So Pat, why don't you... Give us some of your evidence first.
0: All right. So this is weird, me going first in this regard. We're
1: flipping but it. We're flipping it, twisting it, reversing yeah, it today.
0: I'm I'm happy to actually. I've been wanting to say these things this whole time. <laughs> so first of all, let's just take a look at the people that we talked about. Um I I mourn for their for their loss to the world because they could have contributed so much more. Although I question it because of um, the idea that maybe if they had existed longer, maybe they would have, you know, like Neil Young said, it's better to burn out than fade away. So maybe, you know, maybe they would have faded away. Maybe Jimi Hendrix would have taken a turn in his career and not have put out as such good music and they wouldn't be as beloved. So, you know, but I, I do mourn for their loss to the music community. Um, but, I would like to say that they all, like any of those people, was it really that surprising that they died? Kurt Cobain, maybe so, because he committed suicide. But all of them, it was more like, yeah, I mean, you come to terms with that idea easier because you knew they were drug addicts. I mean, if you were around during Robert Johnson's day, you would have saw you would have saw that he um he was drinking a lot he was with a lot of different women it was just bound to happen and unfortunately in that society and that culture back then when a black man was dead on the side of the road by a farm um which was often where the juke joints were were on farms the police wouldn't even care they didn't they just threw him in the wagon and brought him back and Buried them in a pulper's grave, you well, know,
1: especially in Mississippi back then yeah back it was then.
0: it was horrible, but I mean, all these people can you really say, man, it is it's it's weird that they died no, it's weird that they all died at the same age, but it's not weird that they died, so that's one of my points, so I would like to talk about the age thing then, the age of twenty seven so several different people and even scientific organizations, including the British Medical Journal. I don't know if you buy into them at all. You know, I get my weekly subscription to them um, because I always read everything the British Medical Journal has to say. They have done studies and found that there is no statistical evidence for the 27 Club. While they have found that artists do have a higher chance of dying at a certain age, 27 is not a particular age that occurs more than others. Even 26 or 28, they're right around the same amount of people died. Uh, Diana Theodora Kenny, in an article from the British newspaper, The Independent, writes about the statistics, in a population of dead musicians spanning seven decades from 1950 to 2010, which actually I feel that those years are pretty good for the 27 Club because, yeah, even though... Robert Johnson died before that, there weren't that many deaths before 1950, and uh, there haven't been that many after 2010, except for Amy Winehouse and a couple of others. So I really think that that does them justice. Um, So she said that an accurate age of death could be identified, and she gave certain percentages. So she said that people that died at the age of 26, um, it was 1.2% of the musicians. And 1.4% died at the, at the age of 28. 1.3% died at 27. So that means that 28 is even more, 26 is really close. Uh, it's just, I don't know, to me that really says something.
1: What age had the highest frequency?
0: Yeah, so the age that has the highest frequency um, is at 56. It's the highest frequency of death, 2.2%. There's a bunch of notables that I don't, you know, the names don't really sound familiar to me, but, um, you know, I'm sure that they were, like Johnny Ramone was one of them. He was very instrumental to the punk rock community. Uh, I'm just not versed in a lot of these. I'm sure that these people are very, very famous. Um, So what age... Would somebody what would be the percentage that would need to happen to make 27 be, you know, stand out there? And I would say it would have to be at least two percent, or two and a half. I mean, because 56 had 2.2 percent. So that's what I have to say about that also, too. I heard one more thing that correlates to our deaths in the late '60s and early '70s. Are four Brian Johnson, Jimi Hendrix, Janice Joplin, what? Brian. Brian Jones. Oh, what did I say? Johnson. Oh, Brian <laughs> hmm. Brian Jones, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, Janice Joplin, and Jim Morrison. Uh, there is a rise in musician deaths around that time period because cocaine was just starting to surface in the northeastern part of the United States, making it a lot more popular. Although it was in some parts in the South, it wasn't popular because it didn't hit New York. New York was a major influence on drugs back then. So they had more access to this drug. It made it more, more, more accessible and more people died. All right, sorry, that's what I have to say about that.
1: So I will say, I, the, you know, the statistics are obviously something that it's, it's very persuasive sounding. Right. Um, But I do question things a little bit because I don't really know who's in the sample. Okay. You know, like how many people are we talking about? You know, like who did they choose to sample? Like how do you decide who gets to be in this club or not? Like as far as like who's a famous musician, you know, how many records do they have to have sold, Mm, you know what I mean? Like, how did they, like, this happens, to be honest, actually, more than we like to think with science, that scientists like to, it's you don't make money when you're, um, you don't get published when your results uh, show failure. So they will often manipulate the data so that the result is positive for that's, whatever it is that fair. they're trying to do, so I don't know. you know, yeah. um I also wonder what the comparison is between the musician group versus the general population. though I will say the more I read of that art, that particular article, they do she does say that um that it is statistically higher for musicians than in the general population, yeah, so that is out there. Um, So again, I do just, you know, I always have some questions sometimes with statistics. We always have to have that out there. Um, And then kind of maybe, um, I don't remember if I put this in here or not, but just that idea of, you know, who's who's in, not just, again, how many records do they have to sell, but it's like this idea of You know, really is the 27 Club, to me, the idea of people that are more popular. You know what I mean? Like the the higher the popularity. I know this group just seems like there's a lot, there's a higher percentage. Let me say this. (laughs) I'm trying to say this mathematically. (laughs) A higher percentage of very famous people dying at 27 people that were highly influential musicians or artists rather than other ages. And I don't know all the statistics of that. So I can't really like forcefully make that article, but our argument but that's sort of part of of my mind. Go ahead.
0: So um think about this. I mean, who do you think of as a very talented musician now?
1: In like today's music Today's
0: age. This- yeah, who would you say? Would you say, man, that's a really talented musician?
1: Well, uh, okay, now you are putting me in the spot. And my brain is like completely, completely blank. Okay, of like what I'm let's thinking just list of. off
0: bands that you would want to see in concert.
1: <laughs> yeah, again, my brain right now is completely Okay, <laughs> so let's
0: take Bono. Bono is over twenty-seven. Let's take The Edge. He's over twenty-seven. Let's take Jimmy Page. He's over twenty-seven. Robert Plant over twenty-seven. Um, you could, you could list off a million different very influential musicians that are over the age of 27 that haven't died. And also too, you can say that there are people that died before the age of 27 that were very influential. It's just looking back at these names really takes an impact because we're lumping them all together.
1: Yeah, I'm, well, again, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of young artists out there right now that are very influential that I do like Ariana Grande or something. I don't know how old she is, but I'm feeling very old at this moment. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of younger artists that I should be naming, dropping names right now. of
0: Flav, over
1: 27. Well, yes, we're talking about, so if only 2% have to die, obviously the clear majority make it past 27. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there aren't these like bright stars that, you know, have some things, some things up with them that but they- But you're saying that
0: these are the most talented people. So maybe it's because of that idea, it's better to burn out than fade away. Maybe they were that great because they died at that age.
1: Well, what I'm wondering though is like, so if you took just the group of ultra talented musicians and did the statistics for that group, as opposed to just all musicians.
0: Yeah, but you can't judge art that way.
1: I don't know. It's tricky. <laughs> All right, I have a couple more things. I know we gotta we gotta finish this up here, but um, so the I would say there this was an uh, this was weird. I read this and I'm 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 a little I'm not a conspiracy person. So I am. I know we're gonna have to do an episode where we flip <laughs> roles, but no, I, I am will,
0: not that much
1: of a conspiracy uh-huh. person. So there is this thing where these are influential artists that push a very countercultural message a lot of times. Um, they were kind of on the edge of um, new music where right? they were pushing music in new directions, and that the deaths are really kind of odd, that there's like these suicides, overdoses, accidents, it's always a bit sketchy, like, did the bodyguard do something? Did he really just drown in a pool? Did he just fall in the pool? Did somebody push him in the pool? You know, did someone murder Robert Johnson? Or, you know, what happened? Or did he
0: have syphilis?
1: Right, you know, so it's always, there's very mysterious. And I understand with Robert Johnson, I mean, that was a long time ago, we don't have a lot of records, but like modern day things, like you would think we should know this kind of information. um, And so it's always a little, it's just a little weird. And so this one that I read, and I, I will put the link out on our show notes, but um, this idea that there that these people had connections that they shouldn't have had or were influencing again the 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 public in ways that the government or kind of the military industrial complex didn't like uh and that maybe you know there was like a there was like a secret push to like you know get rid of these people, which I mean I'm gonna be honest in the sixties that kind of stuff happened <laughs> but I'm sure i mean Elvis, Wait, Elvis name one would one famous you that.
0: person. Name one famous president that died in the 60s from assassination. (laughs) It never happened. No, Uh I'm just
1: kidding. (laughs) Right. Anyways, but just I thought that was kind of interesting enough. I mean, I'm not going to give that a a lot of credence because I I do just think to some extent these are people that did this to themselves, um, you know, and that there is this kind of natural curse that happens. But but I'm throwing it out there because there are a lot of suspiciousness with these deaths
0: but all at the age of 27 like they waited till they turned 27 to do it
1: that's when they were about to hit their their peak
0: oh okay Popularity. All of them?
1: i don't know well all right. i don't know if you could say that but anyways that's that well, sits out there okay uh okay um the other thing i wanted to mention is that it could be a naturally occurring issue with the idea of Saturn return and this is where maybe the 27 club you could even expand it a bit to be the years around there like I wonder like if you took 26 27 28 versus like 55 56 57 like if you gave it just a few more years because both of those by the way are Saturn return timeframes. Because the second Saturn return is like in your late 50s. So mm. again, both times, life changing. And, you know, again, if you like made some promises that your body can't cash, right? Let's top gun this. Uh, that, you know, <laughs> that there's kind of this curse out there that, you know, you're you're that something's gonna happen to you.
0: Well, you know what? I the Saturn return thing, I'm just gonna say that. I'm going to stick with what I originally said when we talked about the Amy Winehouse thing, that there are times in our lives and they seem to uh, correspond to different ages, especially like when you're about to graduate high school. That's probably going to be one of those times when you're going to be like, man, I really need to reflect upon my life and see what happened. Age of 27 is when people really start getting careers that they they're going to want to stick with a little bit longer than just a year or two they're not looking for temporary jobs and you know like for me the age of 25 was big like that i mean i was like that's when i was living on my own and stuff and you know trying to figure out where i was and actually i got married at 25 so and divorced and remarried <laughs> and divorced you know but these are times when you reflect <laughs> upon things that you've done in your life mm-hmm. and you think about stuff i like that to me doesn't seem supernatural or paranormal at all
1: yeah but we don't die
0: yes and most people don't even musicians only less than 2% <laughs> of them die at that age
1: but it's a higher percentage yeah. than the general population all right. i know yeah all right
0: so i'm you know what? We just kind of gave extra time to our closing arguments, it seems, because uh, I don't think we have anything more to really add. No, to that. I would
1: just be repeating myself. In yeah, the closing so closing argument. I. Yeah. Except
0: that, you know, it gives us a chance not to debate each other on something and just say something. So <laughs> you're going to say you believe the 27 Club. How much do you believe it? On okay. A scale?
1: I mean, I, seven. I give it a seven.
0: And I still go with two. Okay. So that's yeah. what we were at. Um, so we want to thank you guys very much for listening to this very, very, very long episode. <laughs> thank you for sticking with us. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, we're going to make this really short. Make sure you follow us on all social media f- at Ghostly Podcast, whether it be Ghostly Podcast on Facebook or at Ghostly Podcast on Instagram mm-hmm. and on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And we're also on YouTube. Um, <gasps> Tell them
1: about our l- newest place. Where yes, they can hear us. you
0: can now hear us on Pandora. Yeah. And you could go to ghostlypodcast.com slash find us, all one word that find us, uh, to get a link to everywhere you could listen to us and all of our social media accounts.
1: Yeah. I mean, like if you were thinking like, oh, it's so annoying. I always have to go to wherever to listen to Ghostly, but I really wish I could find them on something else. Yeah. Yeah. We're there. Like PodCoin. Right.
0: There's a PodCoin link right on the Find Us page. And if you can't find it that way, just go to ghostlypodcast.com. Up on the top, you'll see a Find Us button. Absolutely. So we want to thank you guys very much. We hope to see all of you guys at Elgin Fringe Fest. See you. All right. Remember, stay ghostly.
1: Bye.